0: You know, you, he is exalted to you are exalted. Our song leader up in Delaware tried that. And he, he did it. and He was singing. And he said, we're going to change it to you are and personalize it and worship him. And from he is exalted. And he started to sing. And he sang, you is exalted. <laughs> but we're educated down here, right? We don't do that. We change our prepositions when we change our subjects. And they said Louisiana was the 50th state in the union in education, eh? Oh, I don't know what our Father God is, you know, doing to me, but if He does it to me, I'm sure He's going to do it to you, too. Seems like every time we start to teach on something, you know, He personalizes it and takes me through some things so that I can really preach from experience and teach from experience. We're getting ready to teach on roles in the family. Brace yourself, Janet. The next several weeks are going to be interesting. I was invited to speak at Campus Crusade this week and I had something happen that never have, had happened when I teach there. Normally I, I go to Father and say, what do you want me to teach? And I pray it out and, and instantly within a day or so I know what I'm going to teach and I get prepared and go and hopefully have a marvelous time. And this week something happened that's never happened to me before I couldn't decide what to teach. And I had four, three four different options and I presented them to a lot of different people and I said, what do you think I ought to teach? And they said, well, I'm sure Father will lead you. Thank you, be warm and be filled too, brother. And uh, <laughs> there was only one person that really felt convicted about what I ought to teach, and that was my bride. And she told me, I to think you ought to teach this, and so I decided I'll teach something else. <laughs> and I went ahead and prepared something else. And uh, son, that night, Thursday night, I'm prepared, getting ready, got it all set. And I watched Rebecca Demain, who's a, a young lady in the assembly here, get up and share some testimony. And our father said, you weren't listening. You know what you need to teach. As I just listened to her. And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt I had to teach what I had not chosen and it was exactly what Janet had chosen. And I said, oh, father, I don't have any notes. I don't have any overheads. I'll trust you. It's come to trusting you. (laughs) But please, please, please don't let me ramble. <laughs> so I don't know. I had a good time. Um, I hope they did. I hope lives were touched. But the same thing's happening today. I um, Last night had totally rewrote everything, so what's here is not in here. And so we trusted him in the first service, and uh, maybe we worked out some kinks. We'll have a great time, I hope, this service. Um But we're going to begin to talk about relationships. And I trust that the Spirit of God, as He does a work in my heart, as I seek Him, is going to do a work in your heart as well over the weeks as we share. Several years ago, I had an occasion to teach. And in my presentation of truth to that particular group of people, I quoted a famous theologian who said this, and I'll put it on the overhead, The faith is the rarest virtue in the world. And that was a statement to which I fully agreed, especially with the way that the world of, is just degenerating around us in terms of just losing an, an entire mindset towards God. I think of the words of Jesus, remember when he said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith upon the earth? You know? It seems that almost as if as time progresses forward, faith regresses backward in the heart of man. Over the years, though, as I share with believers and minister to believers, I've had to modify my belief about that statement right there on the overhead. I think it is true that faith is a very rare virtue in the world. But I believe that there is a virtue that is rarer still, and that is submission. Because even those who are of faith are often not submissive to each other and even to God our Father himself. Now, can any of you relate to that? Okay. Some of you obviously more than others. <laughs> and all God's people said, Amen. 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 <laughs> I believe with all my heart that submission is a very difficult thing for mankind because it involves the death of the flesh, which we all carry, which seeks to exalt itself. But I believe that submission is even more difficult for man because of another reason, one that I hope is going to become very clear to you today. And that is that submission is not only difficult for man, it is actually impossible for man. We're going to see that right out of the scripture. That submission, and put this on the overhead, is in fact a supernatural thing. Submission is of God. Submission is an intruder, an invader into the arena of man. And it is in fact an invader that you and I desperately need if we are going to have any semblance of peace and harmony in the society, in the world in which we live. And I believe that Father... I trust, Father, to make that true in each and every one of our hearts, that we would come to all see this in the moments ahead. So let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 once again. And let's ask our Father to be our teacher and open our eyes to this incredible truth. Our Father... It's an incredible thing to think that anybody could try to teach your word. An incredible thing to think that anybody could try to understand your word. Especially in an area like this, submission, which I believe your word teaches, is something that cannot be produced inside man apart from you. That you are the one, ultimately, who produces it. So, Father, we attempt a very bold thing this morning and I just confess before you that I don't attempt it apart from you. I pray that your spirit would be the teacher, that your spirit would open the eyes and the hearts of each and every man and woman here to bring understanding. And pray you'd use this earthly vessel to do that. I trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin by reviewing, first of all, Ephesians 5.18. You remember the verse? It said, Do not be drunk with wine, which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. We saw it's really a passive. Let yourself be controlled. Let yourself be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And we said, when we looked at that verse, that Ephesians 5.18 is to sanctification what John 3.16 is to salvation. Everybody knows John 3.16 in terms of salvation. The only way into the kingdom of God is to believe in Jesus Christ. But equally, this verse carries the same weight in terms of living the Christian life. Let's put it several different ways. John three sixteen is the key verse of the New Covenant, New Testament, in terms of entering the Christian life. Ephesians five eighteen is the key verse in terms of living the Christian life. Let's put it another way. If you don't obey John chapter three verse sixteen, believe in Jesus Christ, you will not be in the kingdom of God. By the same token, if you do not obey Ephesians 5.18, you will never experience the kingdom of God. Why? Think about it. Because in Ephesians 5.18, we are not dealing with an action on our part so much as we are an origination The source. We're not dealing with principle. We're dealing with a person. The lone person that can provide the power for you and I to keep the principles. You see, when you and I talk about godly living, living a life that glorifies God, if you think about it, we really only have two options available to us. We either have our own resources in which we attempt to live a life of godliness or we have the resources of God that have been placed inside of us which enable us to live a life that glorifies God. And man, living independent of God, cannot produce anything that merits the pleasure of God. Doesn't Isaiah, in fact, say that? All of our righteousness is what? a filthy rag. It is only when the Spirit of God inhabits a man, controls a man, and expresses the Spirit's life through a man, that the external becomes anything of any merit that pleases God in any way, shape, or form. You either have the flesh or you have the Spirit. It's that simple. And so, when we live out of the Spirit, God in man, then we'll see the effects of it. Galatians 5 called it the fruit of the Spirit. It's not called the fruit of Tim. Isn't that right? Why did Paul say that? Because Tim's love isn't good enough. Isn't that right, Debbie? Be careful how you answer now. Yeah, no, it's truth, and we need to readily admit it. Debbie's wired for unconditional agape love. That's what she needs 24 hours a day. The resources of a man cannot do that. God alone is agape. That means, Tim, you're not agape. But agape has come into you. And now agape can be expressed through you. You see that? Boy, patience. It's not enough for those little cherubs at home. But the patience of the Holy Spirit is. That's why it's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the same exact truth here in Ephesians 5.18. Being controlled by the Spirit, we will see the effects of that on the outside. And that's what this passage is all about. But what are we going to see? Well, look at verse 19. The first effect of being filled with the Spirit is we're just going to erupt in joy and singing and praise And keep in mind, dear people, praise is not something you produce. Praise does not originate with you, Bruce. It is the Holy Spirit producing praise in you that finds its way to the external as you yield to Him by faith. Awesome. Thanksgiving. Steve, it's not something you produce. Next verse. It is something that the Spirit of God produces in you and expresses on the outside as you yield to Him by faith. These are spiritually produced effects. And now we see the next verse. And what is it? Look at verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Verse 21 introduces now a new spiritually produced effect in our lives and that is the effect of submission but I want to present to you something else and I need you to see this that verse 21 is not only the mentioning of another spiritually produced effect verse 21 is also a transition through which we will then embark on a discussion of restored relationships Now, if you think about it at all, that's really the only logical place for you and I to be able to go next. It is, in fact, the place, the area, that we need to go next. Instantly upon talking about submission, we have to follow with a discussion of relationships. Why? Well, think about it. Ever since man's fall into sin... When man declared himself independent from God, there was an ultimate cause-effect right there. And the effect was that he instantly experienced disharmony in all of his relationships. We see it right in the pages of Genesis. Whereas man used to walk in harmony in a face-to-face walk with his God, as soon as he falls into sin, that relationship is broken. And we find man hiding in the bushes. Disharmony. Whereas once there was incredible harmony between the man and the woman, now there is instant disharmony as they cover themselves and hide from themselves. When God confronts them over their sin, what's the first thing this hero does in Genesis 3? Who has just said, Ah, this one is my life, bone of my bones. I love her. Instantly, what does this hero do? He blames her for the fall, right? Right? an incredible thing and instantly there's disharmony between men and women and disharmony between men and women has been going on ever since amen (laughs) right then instantly in Genesis 4 there's disharmony between men and men as two brothers fight it out and one kills the other and then there's disharmony between women and women and and parents and children and disharmony throughout the whole society to the extent that in the short time from Genesis 3 to Genesis 6 God's got to wipe out the whole thing and start over Why such disharmony? That's our question. Right there. That's why. Because in his fall from God, man sought to be God. And there is only one God. And when you have lots of gods, you got problems. I'd like you to turn to Isaiah chapter 14. I'm going to go to Ezekiel 28. Because this temptation to be God is really the temptation that started the whole course of sin in the universe. The, the temptation that was presented to man, the sin that was presented to man, you shall be like God, is no different than the sin that sprung from Satan himself. It's an, it's an incredible thing. Ezekiel 28. And just listen to this passage. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyre. And that's a reference to Satan. Thus saith the Lord God, You seal up the sum full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You have been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone Was your covering. You are the anointed cherub that covers and I have set thee so. You were upon the holy mountain of God. You have walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created. Now think about this. God says, Satan, you are the anointed cherub of God. I created you so. I made you beautiful. Every precious stone was your covering. You I made perfect in all your ways. You were awesome. Awesome until, listen, iniquity was found in you. Where did the iniquity come from? Verse 17. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You have corrupted your wisdom by reason of your own brightness. And so I will cast you to the ground, lay you before kings. Do you see what happened to Satan? He became so enamored with his own awesomeness that he forgot who gave it to him. And that is the temptation that has plagued man ever since. And it's plagued some more than others as they look in the mirror. See? I'm so awesome that I forget who made me that way. Realize Psalm 8. The church has made a mistake with Psalm 8 in applying it to Jesus and forgetting That its original intent is to apply to man. Yes, it is a messianic psalm. You were made a little lower than God. But it first was a psalm about man. I have made you so awesome, Donnie Piku, you're just a little lower than God. That's what God says. I couldn't make you any more awesome, Val, or you'd be God. And the danger is that man, looking at his own awesomeness, fell just like Satan did. Look at Isaiah 14. Let's see how this happened. And you've got to get this or you're never going to get anything else we talk about today. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How you art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How art you cut down to the ground who weaken the nations for you. Said in your heart, here's the key, here's what happened. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mound of the congregations. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. It's all self. I will be God. It's pride. The mother of all sins. And pride, beloved, self-exaltation has been the very same struggle for mankind ever since. Rick Joyner said it so well in his book There Were Two Trees in the Garden when he said this. Ever since the fall, man has had a lot of idols. But he has always had one God. Who? Himself. Now question, what do gods do? Anything they want to do, that's right. They rule. They govern. What do they govern? The world that they have created. And that is exactly the effect upon man when the fall came. Think about this. Now what I was going to do this morning is I was going to take a couple that was sitting in the front row. God A and God B. And I was going to stand them up in front of you and we were going to apply how this all works out. See, because God A comes into the world and draws a a circle around him and says, this is going to be my world and I'm going to govern it. I'm going to play just as the book says, Lord of the Rings. And God B comes along and, and says the same thing. I am going to draw a circle around my life and play Lord of the Ring. You see, and I was going to make them uh, stand up. You must be A. you how right you are. <laughs> Instead, we decided just put it on the overhead. You see, what happens is we got God A with his little world that he governs and rules does things his way and we have God B who does things her way in her little world and the two come together and instantly what's the problem? Yeah, you see God A not only wants to control his world he wants to control her world but God B not only controls her world she wants to control his world and instantly we have a problem who's going to be God? you see and so we have conflict and the conflict arises out of a need to control because the godness of man has been corrupted by pride and selfish motive you all see that we can see that even in the smallest societal unit available to mankind the husband and wife relationship Isn't that incredible? But then you can take it and apply it on a bigger picture. Maybe this couple is a little further along than that. And they realize this isn't going to work. So what they do is they put their two worlds together. And they make a bigger world. See? Something like this. But now there's even a greater desire to be God because it's a bigger world to control, you see. And so who's going to be God? Is it going to be God A or is it going to be God B? And once again, we find this. We find conflict that arises out of a need to control because the godness, quote-unquote, of man has been corrupted by pride and selfish motives. And again, we see it in the smallest societal unit. Husband and wife. Now you can see this really easy in in a bigger scale. A little bigger societal unit. What do you suppose we could use as an example of a bigger societal unit? How about the church? Yeah, let's do that. Do you see what can happen here? Now we've taken a whole bunch of little gods and put them all in one place, each with their own opinions, their own goals, their own desires, and they're all trying to be God and control the thing and you end up with a bunch of disorder and chaos. What happens? Well, we can't get anything done. See, we'll spend six months trying to decide the color of the sighting. That we're going to put on the church. Or the color of the carpet. Because you see God A over there, see Roddy, he wants blue. And God B, Bruce, he wants green. And God C over here wants chartreuse, for some reason. you You get the idea. See, and it's a problem. Well, every once in a while, then, what happens in this societal unit is, realizing that you can't get your agenda met... You'll kind of hook up with other people who have somewhat similar agendas, realizing that you'll have to die to some of your agendas in order to accomplish the bigger agenda. And so, what you do is something like this you get up like this with all this little group of people, and you form what's called a power play, you see, to get sh- your agenda accomplished. And if you can't get your agenda accomplished because all these other gods won't cooperate, then you do this right here and you split. And then you go off all one happy little body and live happily ever after, right? Ha <laughs> ha! No. Eventually it'll manifest itself again, and the split will split. You see? So we'll put it this way, and I hope you see this that order must be established, or self will self-destruct. Order must be established, or the godness, selfishness, and self-exaltation, and self-gratification of man, his I will, will run amok. That order can only come through an established authority and submission. So God established authority. What kind of authority did he establish? Well, this is pretty simple. All you got to do is read the word, and you see it. First of all, God established Himself as the authority. That's a pretty good idea, don't you think? And man is in submission to that authority. He established man as an authority, and woman in a position of submission. He established parents as an authority in the home, and he established children as those who are in submission to that parental authority. He established the elders as an authority over a church and the church as those who are in submission to the elders. He established government within a nation and the people in submission to that government. And so, as this godness of man running amok through the I will brings chaos and disorder, God establishes authority and submission to bring order out of the disorder. Do you all see that? And we then can say that they all lived happily ever after. Right? (laughs) Wrong. Dead wrong. Why? Because the flesh of man is still very active. And since the flesh of man is active... It means that authority can be wielded improperly. It can be wielded with selfish motive to oppress and suppress the subjects that are in submission to the authority. Or the authority can be neglected out of fear of what the subjects will say. And then chaos is going to reign again. Or submission can be perverted And we end up with a bunch of doormats. And that's not submission. Or it can be rejected. And those in submission will rebel against the authority. And again, what we have is disorder and chaos. Listen. Whenever you have authority or submission, perverted, neglected, abused, you will again end up with disorder and chaos. And what happens when you have disorder and chaos? Think about this. Run with me. Where there is disorder and chaos in a society, you will ultimately have despotism. Where a strong authority figure will step in, rescue the society from itself, and establish order. Usually through strength and oppressiveness. When that happens, oppression, people will eventually rebel against the oppression when they rebel against the oppression, they once again establish freedom. But because the flesh of man is active, freedom, never meaning self-gratification and self-exaltation, but that's what happens, you end up once again with the abuse of freedom, which again leads to disorder and chaos, which will eventually lead to a despot again, and it's just a vicious cycle over and over again. And we call that divorce and remarriage. In the smallest societal unit, and in society as a whole, we call it revolution. As governments are established and toppled, and listen, all you've got to do is read history, and you'll see this over and over and over again. So, what have we learned? Well, I'll turn over to James 4. And we'll see it. Think about this. Look what he says. James 4.1 From whence come wars and fightings among you? What is the source of conflict? Where does it come from? Come they not hear even of your lust that war in your members it 's the selfish exaltation that reigns in the flesh of man you lust and you have not, you kill and desire to have, but you can 't obtain you fight and war, but you don 't have because you ask not, and yet even when you ask, you receive not because you ask amiss because you ask to consume upon your own lust. Where does it all come from from the flesh of man? And I put it this way right on the overhead. Man pursuing his rights will right himself right out of existence. Conflicts in the home, conflicts in the church, conflicts in the marriage, conflicts in a society always result from hearts that are directed by self rather than the Spirit of God. It's that simple. One writer put it this way. Where self insists on its own rights, its own opinions and its own goals, harmony and peace will be gone because the self-centered life is always in a battle for the top and it will push others down as it climbs up in pride. So what did we just learn about authority and submission as principles? Beloved, I would suggest to you we just learned this. That authority and submission as principles alone, are not enough for this world to establish order or peace in a society. We need more than that. Why? Because authority, governed by the flesh, will abuse its subjects. Submission, governed by the flesh, will manipulate the authority. We need more than just principles. We need more than a recipe to follow. We need more than instruction. We need power. We need power that can only be produced by a person. And the kind of power we need is the power to love. And so we'll say this. We need the power, or love that only the person of God can provide. And that is where Ephesians 5.18 comes in. Let's go back there. Authority must be exercised in love. Submission must be exercised in love. Love is only going to be produced by the Spirit of God. God. So what we've come back to, full circle, once again, is the establishing of the New Covenant. Where God did the incredible thing that mankind had longed for since day one. The restoration of God inside the man. And so we say this. With God coming back inside the man, man is now able to love. So, authority and submission is actually a mutual expression of love that is only made possible by God inside us. You really need to see this. And we're going to run with this a little further on the overhead. Tune in. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be filled with the Spirit. Let yourself be filled. Let yourself be controlled. When that happens... The Spirit expresses His own life through your life. The Spirit then produces some effects like praise. And so we say, as we said earlier, that praise is not something you generate. It's something the Spirit produces in you. Thanksgiving, not something you generate, something the Spirit of God produces in you. And so it is with submission. And you and I need that because the flesh, by its very nature, is not submissive. Your flesh, boy, Jonica, like, no, like all other people's flesh, always wants to exalt itself. And when you're in a union, both of your flesh wants to exalt itself against the other. And you're headed for instant conflict without submission. And you'll never have submission without the Spirit of God. And what is submission? It's the living out of the life of Christ. Look at this. Once we then understand spirit-filled submission, we end up, as Ephesians goes through this passage, with restored relationships between a husband and wife. Because now the husband is going to lead his wife in love. And she's going to submit in love. And parent-child relationship restored. And and the rulers and the slaves relationship restored. And i just put a little illustration here on the overhead to show you this. If a man lives independent of God, he is not going to be filled with God, so he'll be an empty critter. Do you all see that? And when he's an empty critter, he's going to try to get life out of other people. and It's just not going to work. But when that person is living dependent on God and God fills him and God fills her, the two now can live in a relationship of mutual submission, governed by love, which is produced by the Spirit of God inside each of them. And that's awesome possum. Only God can produce submission. Because only God can produce love. I want to quote for you This gentleman who writes, and I think he nailed it. Listen to him. We are drowning in a sea of marriage information today. A book on sex and marriage, whether from a secular or Christian viewpoint, is sure to sell. Marriage conferences, seminars, and counselors abound. Some of which may be solidly scriptural and well presented. Do you agree with that? I mean, go into a Christian bookstore. I mean, it's all over the place. Well, with all that information, why is divorce at an all time high in the church? Because information is not enough. We need more than that. You can't fight flesh with information, you can only fight flesh with the Spirit of God. And so, listen to what he writes. Apart from a believer's being filled with the Holy Spirit and applying the ever-sufficient Word of God, even the best advice will produce only superficial and temporary benefit because the heart will not be rightly motivated or empowered. In other words, you'll be a Roman 7 person. You'll want to do it. You just won't be able to. Because you're living out of your own resources. That's why Ephesians 5.18 says what it says in the next phrase. Look at it. What does he add? Let me get there. Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of Christ. What does he mean? In the fear of Christ. Well, in the reverence of Christ. Looking at Christ as the example. In full embracing of who Jesus is and and, and what he's done. If I was going to paraphrase this and and sort of do my own, you know, um, amplified Bible, this is how I do it right here. In the fear of Christ, in other words, Jerry, if you understand Jesus at all, you'll submit to one another. See? Tracy, if you understand Jesus at all, you'll, you'll submit to each other. You, you'll do as he did. You'll place yourself under others. How that work out? I'm gonna give you a practical illustration. It is a beautiful day. It's kind of a, a tough day to be stuck inside, and, and I hear that the weather's gonna stay like this all week. Very likely through next weekend. Well, you know, I would really rather go golfing on Sunday morning. So Glenn says, well, Frank, let me just, spirit-controlled, prefer you more than me, and and I'll preach next week so you can go golfing. See? Thank you, Glenn, for listening to the Spirit's voice. But see, then, then I, because I'm filled with the Spirit and controlled by the Spirit, say, Glenn, no, 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 brother, you go ahead and go golfing and I'll stay here and preach. You see? And, and do you see what so- kind of society we can have through spirit-led, spirit-controlled submission one to another? It's an outloving each other. It's an awesome thing. And, and so what Paul does is, instantly as he teaches on submission, he just shifts gears and says, let me show you what I mean. Let me show you what this looks like between wives and husbands. And what he says is this. Look at Jesus first. Jesus, he's God, right? Well, uh, wait a minute. Are we agreed on that? Jesus is God, right? Okay. Well, as God, he loved the Father. We have the power to do it. If I love the Father, I'm going to obey him. Take it a little further to, to really drive this home. Jesus is God, but he loved us so much like Philippians 2 says he humbled himself became obedient and died for us in John 13 this is the reference I put on the overhead it says Jesus loved the disciples to the uttermost and guess what follows instantly after that was said he washed their feet he submitted his best interests to them why? because he loved them Do you see that? You show me a church of people who has a problem serving each other. I'll show you a church that doesn't understand the love of God. Because the love of God would become active in the people's hearts and they would serve each other, submit to each other, say no to their own best interests, right, Glenn? So that another could experience. That's awesome. Now, do y'all see that? Alright, let me ask you a question and we'll wind this up. Submission, then, is not an issue of superiority and inferiority. What do you mean by that? Who is more superior by nature? Jesus or us? Jesus. And yet Jesus found himself in submission to who? Who? us, his creation. Do you realize what that means? That means when God established submission and authority, it has nothing to do with inherent worth. Ladies have borne the brunt of this issue for years. And it's dead wrong. It is not when God says to women, "Women submit to men." It is not an issue of you being inferior. And all the women of God said, Amen. "Well, you don't sound very excited about that." It, when God said, "Women submit to men," He was not referring to inherent worth. And all the women of God said, yeah. "Amen." That is exciting. And all the men of God said, "Oops." Yeah. Listen. By the very uh, what God did is He had to establish order in the society. And so the men got the authority and the women got the submission. And it was just for that, not because of any intrinsic worth. You are one in Christ, Galatians 3.28. And so there are are women who are are better teachers than men. There there are are women who can be better teachers than the pastor. But because of the the fact that they are spirit-filled and spirit-controlled, they'll submit themselves... Because the Spirit is leading them to do what God has called them to do. See that? i got to tell you something. Next week, we're going to look at these issues. We're going to start looking at Ephesians 5.22 and the role of the wife. The role of women. And I've got to tell you something. The title for next week's study, The Abuse of Women. And i got a feeling that I'm going to become a pretty popular guy among women over the next... In fact, we're going to spend a couple weeks on this and just really go after it. We're going to go to a couple of different passages in the New Testament and the Old Testament that have been used by some theologians to beat down women and they have totally corrupted the meaning of those passages. What are they? 1 Timothy 2. You know the passage? Women preserved through childbearing. Ooh, what does that mean? We're going to look at it. Genesis 3.16 You shall desire your husband, but he will rule over you. See, women cursed to want to usurp the authority of their husband. That's a lie. That is a lie. We're going to see what the truth is. Anyway, that's extra. A second thing then, and I trust you see this then, is that submission is also an issue of love. Why did Jesus do what he did? Because he loved us. And it's the same way it's going to be for all of us. And so and so as we submit ourselves to others and prefer one another, we're going to see wives who, who submit or, or love, let's just use the right word, love their husbands. And we're going to see husbands who, who lead or, what's the real word? Love their wives. We're going to see children who obey or, what's the real word? Love their parents. And, and parents are going to rule or love their children. And we're going to see slaves or, or employees honor or... What? What? Love their boss. And we're going to see the masters care or love for their employees or slaves. You see that? And when that happens, listen. Submission then, what is it? It's an internal attitude that produces an action, which is ultimately produced by the Holy Spirit, which becomes manifested externally in our relationships. It's of God. And when that happens, in our relationships, look at this, the roles of authority and submission, exercised properly, become invisible. All that's seen is love. You don't see the headship and the submission. You see love. The book that traces this down to the most intimate unit in society, husband wife, Song of Solomon. Notice now that we keep preparing you for Song of Solomon in about a year when we teach it, right? Okay? If ever there was a place to see authority exercised, it would be in Song of Solomon. Why? Because that hubby was also the... Say it? The king... Right, and if ever, ever there could have been a place for authority in a relationship to be manifested, you know the wife isn't doing something. Right. I'm the king. You know, at least that's the way we do in the Freedman home. I don't know, I, but you know. <laughs> not true. <laughs> that's what you. That's where you'd expect to see it. But you know what? You don't see it. You do not see the kingship of Solomon at all. You don't see authority. You know what you see? You see love. You see headship, but it's so manifested in love, you don't see the headship. You see submission lived out, but you don't see the word, submission. All you see is love. And I want to tell you what my heart's prayer is. My heart's prayer, as we go through this, is that we're going to see marriages transformed. Utterly just governed by love. As this stinky flesh gets subdued by the power of the Spirit. And then when marriages get transformed and love reigns, then we have strong relationships of love within the church. When you have strong relationships of love within the church to say, oh, Kim, Kim, your baby's crying. Tell you what, you go in and, and, and worship today. I'll take your baby and I'll go to the nursery for you, you see. And, and oh, it was such a special worship day today. Bruce, Bruce, I'll take your Sunday class, school class. You go on in here, you see. And, and it it's just love. It's love. What do you think the world's going to do? Wow, look at those people. And we're going to be known, not by our doctrine, but what did Jesus say? By our love. That's awesome. Father, we're going to look at some really heavy things over the next couple of weeks. I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you'll open our eyes to see what you want to do in in us and, and to us, the love inside us. Be our teacher that we may live differently. We're going to trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Be who you are.